Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this. Wait, I, I didn't think I gave Justin a good Kyle, do you? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Service Monster Podcast. I'm your host today, Joe Kowalski. And uh, man, we're just going to get right into it, right? We've got mobile, we've got 651, we've got Entree Joe. And uh, the big topic before we get to all of that, what are we talking about today, Adam? Yeah, so we had actually a post in Smug that kind of led into this. So Tim, if you're listening, this kind of came um, from your post. We've had discussions on this you know, before. We had uh, one of our speakers at the symposium. Um, well, you know, spoke about this and it's really just kind of about diversifying your business. Um, and the discussions we had all came out of, you know, carpet cleaners or interior cleaners specifically, but I've also got some examples of exterior cleaning and, and, um, us. And, and us. Yeah. And so kind of a good opportunity to talk about expansion and growth and using the, that kind of model. So you're not growing complacent. Um, so, we have kind of some things to to go through here, but first off, kind of just why do we want to diversify? Like, why is that important, Joe? Um, we, yeah, we got to put bounds on it, right? Because you can say diversify, and that means are you selling the vacuum cleaner and the bottles of you know the next MLM or essential oils? So, first of all, diversification isn't willy-nilly chasing opportunities. There's an interesting that happens as you move on your entrepreneurial journey. At some point, you start to reach a level of success. And I don't doesn't have to be huge, but maybe you can get your first three, four employees, and then you think you're pretty cool. And the mindset change forces you to see opportunity around every corner. But it's not one of those like oh, opportunity. Think about it like Homer or uh, Grandpa Simpson. It was death and death. Like there's opportunity everywhere, and you can get so sidetracked so quickly that it's unbelievable. So uh, I would caution to put borders on the diversification process that we're going to dive in here today. Bumper cars, as you will. Um, adjacent related services or services that your clients who you have already uh, could use from you. That's where I would, and yeah, could you, could you say, well, they need essential oils, like, but that's not really adjacent to the services that you're currently providing within the skill set and the expectation that those clients have. So a good example might be if you're carpet cleaning and pushing the lawn and that's all you do, have you moved into tile and grout? I'm always surprised by how many carpet cleaners don't turn into floor specialists. Like the whole floor needs, you know, dealt with. And, uh, you know, there's some misconceptions about uh, vinyl laminate planking, uh, the custom luxury vinyl planking and how easy they are to maintain versus, you know, what clients actually do to them. Um, carpets always and fiber and rugs and tile and grout and stone and mosaic. And, you know, you can get you can go floor and be very diversified in there. But then you can even go to another level of diversification where you're like, okay, well, we do cleaning. Like we know that we know how to clean fabrics and hard surfaces and special stuff. Why don't we move up the wall a little bit, right? And start providing some general housekeeping services or moving into janitorial services. So as your business grows, you've got some more stability of income and maybe that truck is running. 16 hours a day instead of eight hours a day. So, ooh, that's, that's a big diversification point because now you're extending the amount of billable hours you're creating in a day from a resource you're already paying for. I could do this forever. Like diversification is, is, a, is a big way to help grow your business, increase your average ticket, significantly increase your profit margin, and get more hours of the day uh, profit out of your resources. So if you're, if you're kind of a one man shop and you only want to focus on this one thing, cause that's what you're passionate about and that's what you're good at. Uh, awesome. Uh, but if you're sitting there and you, and you really want to grow and grow your business, then diversification is something that you want to take a good hard look at every year, maybe even every quarter. Um, because it's a, it's really the, steam engine that can get you there because being able to capitalize on your current clients 
is a big deal because lead generation and client acquisition is the hardest freaking part of the game. And so if you can increase your average ticket from those clients or, you know, let's say um, your average revenue per year per client, man, that's just huge. Your, your, your profit margins will be so much higher because you're only paying for the client the one time. So is that a halfway decent summary there, Adam? Yeah. And I'm actually going to give a couple of specific examples too, before we move a little bit further on just from um, users that we've dealt with. Um, Jay Young was the speaker at the symposium. So I'm going to show um, the example that he gave was they had been trying to get into a BLM a carpet cleaning or very low moisture carpet cleaning. And they were um, you know, parsing through the data um, The they use service sponsor, a disclaimer, but uh, you guys need to have a CRM for this very reason. But they were looking through the data and they realized that the margins were super low. Um, and in this, this area, the competition was very high um, at, at that price point. So they had to keep their prices low if they wanted to kind of maintain that. So they wanted to kind of shift out of that. And they found that the, mach the machines that they had purchased um, ended up being great at polishing concrete. So what they did was they pivoted to that. They had already made a shift to doing some exterior cleaning because, as I'm sure a lot of you know, window washing and, and, and pressure washing have a much you know lower kind of barrier of entry as far as uh, you know purchasing costs and things like that and and training and such. So they'd already kind of shifted into that because there was you know an opening in our particular area. Um, and so being able to use those machines for concrete cleaning made the exterior cleaning that much more efficient for them. And so it's just kind of one example that they had equipment already on hand. It's partially from a failed project, but they were using that uh, data um, and able to kind of make that shift. Another really good example for you exterior cleaners who are listening um, is there is someone I've worked uh, pretty heavily with. And if they're, they're listening, they'll definitely know who I'm talking about. But um, they started primarily as an exterior cleaner. So they were doing windows, gutter, and uh, house washing. Um, and at some point, they kind of were looking to expand you know, for those slow winter months. And they got into Christmas light installations, which is something that we've talked about here as well. And once that worked well for the first winter, they also moved into wedding light installations and other kind of event installation or light installations. And now at this point, you know, five years later or whatever, the light installation business is so successful. The margins are so much higher that they've considered just phasing out the cleaning portion because they've got the same staff. The, the training requirements are essentially the same. They've got all the same equipment um, and there's higher margins. And so it's almost like that, that first part of the business almost becomes a headache to them now because they're just like, oh, well, we have the demand. Like, this is what we want our trucks to be running for right now. So that's officially yeah. a pivot, right? Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. <clears throat> yep. So um, those are just a couple of examples of, of users um, that, that I've, you know, spoken with or have spoken with us um, at events that, you know, you guys can kind of take that into, into account. So. And I think the big point is all of those examples were similar in that they followed their nose. Yep. What were, where was the demand? What did the clients want and what did they need? Not what you thought they wanted, not what you think they want. Like as a marketer working for somebody else's expectations of their marketing materials is always a pain in the ass because they have a hard time getting over themselves. We're not targeting you, <laughs> right? You're a, a 55-year-old um, entrepreneur business owner. We're targeting 25 to 55-year-old females uh, typically who own homes with kids and or pets. Totally different demographic. And uh, you, want a you want to craft a different message. It can't be asteroids and blood, right? So if I'm targeting 35-year-olds and asteroids and blood, it's going to get me the goods. So, um, yeah, follow your nose. What do your clients want? What, do, what are they asking for? What do they need? What other problems can you solve that are adjacent to what you're doing already with the resources you already have? Yeah, that ties into our last podcast as far as knowing some of your KPIs, knowing how to look up some of your demographic information. Um, you know, you really want to be asking, you know, who's, who's going to be buying this service, um, you know, and who, 
know your top customers, know your top neighborhoods, kind of all of that. You really want to be tracking that. And that's why we harp that CRMs are so important, whether it's service sponsor or elsewise. Um, like you always say, Joe, the best CRM you're using is, you know, the one you're using. So one thing that, that Jay said um, in his symposium speech was about that, like the importance of CRM and not just having a CRM, but tracking your KPIs, again, tying into the last podcast is knowing that data. He was, he quoted, um, forget his name, uh, marketing guru kind of guy that he looked up to. Um, we talked about that. That's the most important thing when like you're di- diversifying your business is knowing like you can do market research all you want um, and look at what people, what you know, you think people will want, but like you have to actually know like who your top customers are. And he used service monster to figure that out. These are my top customers. This is their information. This is where they live. This is their email address, their phone number. Um, and he was able to identify top neighborhoods off of that. And so for his business, when they were, um, cause he talked about how he had this whole process where he was constantly going through this like vetting process of different services that they could diversify or even pivot into. Um, I know one that he talked about, uh, at the symposium was they were considering soft washing, um, cause the margins are so much higher there. Um, so he was vetting that and he actually talked with, uh, Jim, who's another symposium attendee who was having great success in soft wash and that helped Jay kind of uh, help them in that vetting process of, of whether or not soft wash would be a good option for his business. Um, but it's, it's, it's amazing to see these, these stories of like, the, it's going back to the complacency thing of, of not being complacent ever, like Jay's mindset. And you said this, Joe, that the mindset, it's about that mindset of always looking where looking around, like what else can be cleaned? What else can I do with what I have right now? Um, and that's what Jay talked about in the, on the diversifying side, but then also um, pivoting, like with the, the transition from uh, VLM with the same machine to concrete polishing, totally different thing. Not really, I mean, it's kind of cleaning, but it's more of just like a, a general floor care thing. Um, and he considered that a pivot for their business that resulted in higher margins. So really, really cool um, way to be able to to track all that with your with your CRM with with KPIs um, to see what's the most profitable, what has the the highest margin um, in your business. Speaking Boom. of data too, um, we obviously mentioned everything you want to do before you make the transition, but you also want to be making sure that you're, you know, watching that kind of like a hawk, especially when you first kind of make the transition. Have our average has our average invoice increased have we seen an yep. increase in the number of tickets and so on because yep. what might end up happening is if you know you rushed into some things you might be substituting a service for another the the client might still just be looking for that you know whatever price point they had in mind 200 300 you know whatever and they're just kind of stuck on that number so maybe they're substituting items that might take you more effort so again watching the margins watching to see if there actually was an increase there Looking at the concert of numbers, I think is the most important. A single note doesn't give you anything, right? Again, you've got to compare it over time and look for change, but also as it relates to other numbers, I could focus on average invoice all day long. And if I was laser beam focused on that, I could, I could make that go up. And then, you know what I'm not paying attention to my bank account. All of a sudden the bottom line starts going down because I'm selling less jobs because less people are buying because I have a price sensitive issue or I'm not positioning it well. And maybe it's a training issue. Maybe it's a sales pitch. Maybe it's the value proposition that you're not positioning correctly. But for whatever reason, your focus on obtaining a higher average invoice has led to a decrease in your overall revenue. Now, it could have mean an increase in your profitability, though, because that's a thing. But if you don't know, you don't know, you know. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, I think also another big thing to point out, though, is Michael was talking about um, Jay had spoken to one of the symposium um, attendees. His name was Jim. And um, because he was in in the, in the pressure and soft washing. And this is another really good point is don't isolate yourself as a business owner, especially with, you know, there is a lot of competition and things like that. Uh, you're going to need to probably reach out and talk to some of these guys who have been doing this for years, you know, who have decades of experience. You know, obviously you want to have the training involved. You know, there's lots of not things. the loudest voices on social media though. So 
you know, always take advice from those who have done what you seek to do. Like, don't just, you know, oh, this person's like, I see him everywhere. Let's take advice from he's everywhere because he's a one man show working half a day off of a trust fund and, you know, $150 invoices. You do not want that man's advice. <laughs> what you want is the one who built a real business and has a trajectory that you're looking for. And then you always want to be asking those guys, what'd you do? How'd you do it? And then what? And then what happened? And then what'd you do? But what about this? And like, sit down, buy him dinner and just question the heck out of them. Yeah. And I've, I've always been amazed that like, for the most part, the uh, cleaning services, uh, interior, exterior, etc. The communities that I've seen, you know, very helpful. Uh, these are, every entrepreneur wants to see, you know, their fellow entrepreneurs succeed. It's Probably a common, big. yeah. At that level, it's the mind shift has been required to kind of make it so. And so, at that level, people are very, very, very often more than willing to sit down and help. But you got to put in some effort up front. Remember, I said a couple of weeks ago about. Um, finding it hard to find a business to invest in because not enough everybody has got something they they want to they want money for but nobody's actually done anything so when you come to them come to them with hey how can i show you that i am where you used to be and here's the hustle here's the what i've done so far and i'm totally interested in learning and can i pick your brain then they'll be more often than not they'll be very, very willing to have the conversation. Uh, we did this in the cleaning podcast when we talked about rugs because the rug community who has rug plants, man, those guys love rugs, love them. And they'll talk to anybody. And because they'll they'll have you sub the rug. And this is another diversification thing, right? If you're not doing rugs because you're scared of them, you can sub out the harder stuff to a rug plant nearby. And then as you get more confident, maybe the difference between rugs you're willing to handle and not willing to handle changes, you reestablish a relationship. And then you can ask them about things as you grow. And they know that you're not going to create a rug plant. The chances of that are teeny, teeny, tiny. And if you do, then, hey, there's another brother or sister who's washing rugs. And and because that tree goes up as you're like, I'm not, I've been doing this for five years. I'm not willing to handle this rug. Here, you do it. And then there are some guys who are like, I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm not willing to handle that rug. I've got a guy. We'll box it up and we'll send it and then we'll do it. So again, it's a pyramid. People really not like MLM pyramid, like hierarchy um, of knowledge and experts. And you'll find that the guys near the top are always willing to sit down and have the conversation. You got to um, get their attention though. That's the hard part. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Another really good point um, that also kind of harkens back to something that you, I think it was a couple podcasts ago, um, when you're marketing the new service. So kind of, you know, obviously you want to be showcasing that you have something new available, um, but you need to make sure you have the ability to support that. You know, it's, uh, you said like if they're, if you're sitting around and expecting that it's going to be, you know, oh, small increase or so on, and it ends up being this massive wave and you actually can't support this this new line of work that you just spent massive amounts of money marketing towards, then, you know, you're going to be floundering there as well. So. Um, and another thing, it occurs to me, and I want to make this point. You want to be careful a little bit about your diversification too. So that it doesn't feel like it's just a money grab, i.e. smoker disinfecting. All right. There are some legit uses of this. But I've seen a lot of people trying to diversify by providing bullshit service with dollar store smokers uh, just out for the money grab because that's just not a way to grow a business. I mean, I'm typically not talking to transactional individuals and uh, they're not really listening to me anyway. So maybe the the point is moot on the audience, but um, you got to be careful if you're going to do it. Get the training. Get the information, get the knowledge, like uh, clean your house first. And just like when you did when you were starting out with with other services, especially if it's something that's, you know, kind of brand new to you, like um, Jay's uh, stone polishing, because that's that's more than just uh, cleaning. Right. I mean, they're not buffing out uh, already finished surface. They're taking a more raw surface and they're finishing it. And so, um, and then, you know, there's maintenance after that and polishing and so forth, but it's, um, it's good to know what you're getting into. Go slow, get educated, 
move with purpose, but uh, but make sure that education and being of service to your community is at the front of your mind always. Well said. So with that, let's kind of pivot <laughs> into uh, kind of a personal story for Service Monster um, in a way that we diversified um, and so on with the fill my schedule. Um, so like sometimes you find a need, right? To like, to, it becomes that necessity to hit that next layer of growth. Um, we, you saw, um, the client retention was a glaring hole and still is in a lot of, a lot of cases, um, as far as their marketing efforts go. So you saw that need, um, you, you wanted a spike in revenue to kind of push the next level of growth. So why don't you kind of tell the story of, of fill my schedule a little bit there, Joe? Yeah. Um, maybe laying too many cards on the table, but I'm good at that. Um, guys, I don't care. Uh, so it took us five years to get to profitability and, uh, we were starving. We didn't take VC money or loans. And so, um, over those five years, we were kind of spoon feeding the company in turns, uh, what ended up amounting to both investments and, um, loans in the amount of 500,000. So over five years, we spent a half a million dollars to get service monster off the ground of our own money. Um, and at year four and a half, right, I'll, we were all done putting money in, but I was not done with the vision. I refused to let it fail. And we were so close, um, so close to making that first dollar, which would then start hopefully meaning the other direction and we can start getting employees and so forth. So it's a long haul. When I say success is mostly showing up every year for a decade, I mean that shit because I lived it and breathed it. Um, you know, we took pretty big sacrifices during those five years compared to what we could have been. I calculated out at year five, I would have been a million and a half dollars more wealthy if I had just stayed in my cubicle. Um, but now 17 years later, I own something that's pretty cool and we're serving a lot of people. Um, so I'm very excited by that, but without fill my schedule, we would not have made it. So at year four and a half, I'm you know, flipping out about the fact that we're, we're not quite making ends meet and, uh, and everybody's starting to get fatigue. Rewind to six months after we started selling our product, we realized that we were having a problem with churn. It wasn't a VC metric at the time. It was a cute, you know, data point for us. It was a method of survival. We were finding that far too many of our clients were canceling within 90 days. And so we kind of wanted to figure out why. And what we found is they kind of stopped using it without any motivation. I would do the sales pitch on the phone, uh, walk them through the app, and they'd be super excited by that. And that momentum would only carry them so far. And then they would um, get with Eric. And Eric's great about educating, but he's kind of dry. He just doesn't do it anymore. Not because he doesn't want to, which I don't think he really does, but because he wasn't great at engaging them in a way that kept the momentum going. So what we decided to do is at 30 days, we would dangle a carrot. Hey, at 30 days, you can do a marketing consult with Joe. So you service monster for your, I do the sales pitch, I sell them. Then they got to go through their training and then they do some stuff. And then 30 days, I would do a marketing consult. And so that got them to 30 days. And then having talked to me again, would get them excited and invigorated again. And it would get them over this hump. And our churn rate drastically dropped. The marketing consult was kind of a two-parter. The first part was, hey, tell me about your business. What are you looking to do? And then um, the second part was, I'm going to follow up with you and see what you've done, right? So we've given you all these amazing tools to create these campaigns and do stuff. And so then I'd call them two or three months later. Say, hey, how's it going? It's like, oh, pretty good, man. I, I ran that campaign we talked about and we got tons of jobs. It's like, wow, that's amazing. How many times did you do it? Oh, you know, uh, just one. I haven't had time to go back to it yet. Blink, blink. What? You just told me. He's like, yeah, but I was just, we got so busy. We couldn't do it again. I'm like, well, are you busy now? He's like, no, now we're slow. Now I got to go do it again. I know I do. I just got to go back to it. I haven't done it. What? 
You have a campaign that's profitable, that's making your business more money, that's bringing back more clients, and you're just not doing it because you don't have the time? And then a light bulb went off. I was like, shit, we have their data. You know, this is brand new, right? This is back way in 2003, 2004, and there was no such thing as SaaS. We were one of the first companies to house business data. We took it very seriously. We still do to this day. You own your data. Not true with all other providers. Read your terms of service. Um, but what I realized is we could do some of this marketing for them. And that hatched an idea. And it was a pretty simple idea. We'd print cards. And we'd send those cards out, a direct mail campaign. It just made, we just did it for them. And uh, we sat on that idea for four years because I couldn't figure out how to get it to work on the whiteboard. Like what machines would I need to buy? And what was the revenue? And what was the ramp up? And I was just overthinking it and just constantly in the back of my mind thinking this is something that we could service, but I'm not sure about all the details and how would we get it to work? And you know, I had called print companies and they weren't interested in doing what I kind of had in my head. They still aren't. <laughs> we, we do all that stuff in-house. And at four and a half years now, we're not to reaching profitability. We're all tired. We've all sacrificed so much. We still believe in the vision, but we didn't know if the vision believed in us. And uh, one day I woke up, I was like, screw it. I am just going to figure out how to print these bullshit cards like, because doing something is better than nothing for them and us. And so I went to Best Buy and I bought two inline printers so the cards wouldn't bend. That was my big thing. So I researched, they were a hundred bucks a piece. We called them Cha-Ching 1 and Cha-Ching 2 because every time a card came out of it, we'd go Cha-Ching. <laughs> uh, and we started selling cards and people started buying them. And so we'd have these little printers running and we did maybe a couple hundred a week. But damn, we made like 30, 40% margin on those cards. And people were interested. And so we started doing a little bit more and a little bit more. And within four months, the volume had grown to we, we needed somebody full time to sit in front of those things and load an Excel spreadsheet and do all process manually and then feed cards into this machine, meet, 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 into this inline $100 printer. Um, once we saw it working, we went, okay, we need to move to the next level. And we paid for it in one campaign. We did a Christmas card campaign, but we bought the machine ahead of time so we could do the volume. But I sold the card, the cards on a promise ahead of time. So I knew how much I had coming in. And all of a sudden now I had the promise of purchase with enough volume to justify a $10,000 printer purchase, which then we brought in and made 40% margin on the cards that we sold, which then that margin paid for the machine in one campaign. And then our volume was sufficient where I had started building tech to connect all the pieces so we didn't have to do, because you know it was, it was buggy. People are way buggier than machines. People complain about machines being buggy. Yeah, <laughs> try human. Remember those days, right? Math calculations and so forth. I mean, I don't know how many physics people went years before they realized, oh, shit, I had an error in my calculation. I wasn't right. So, uh, yeah, uh, people are way buggier. So we built out a technical process, which we still use to this day. It's not quite original, but it's pretty original to the original design. We still use the old CRM. We don't even use our new tools um, to, to generate those cards and print those cards every single day. And so that pivot four and a half years ago within six or seven months actually brought us to profitability. We started making, um, making ends meet combined with the sales that we were continuing to get. And now an increased interest because people were coming and buying the product, not just for the CRM, but because of the, this ancillary service that we provide because people were seeing results and we were doing it for them and we took away the burden. And so obviously I had a brain explosion and epiphany related to all that, which I've been writing for as long as we've been around. But um, yeah, that pivot, uh, that diversification, that additional service allowed Service Monster to continue to survive unfunded. Because that's really what it came down to. We had proven enough of the model, did enough of the hard work. We had some interest, but it would have been pennies on the dollar at a partner buy-in 
to get some real capital in the company. And maybe we would have been bigger if we would have done that. I don't know, but we still own 100% of it. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. So that's just kind of, you know, one more example. Obviously, you know, we're a software company and it's different, but it's the same mentality, right? Kind of looking for those not not being complacent. Um, And this actually is a great little kind of segue into the service monster news, unless you guys have something more you kind of want to add on there. No, no, I, I was, I'm happy with that story. Yeah. So that was a really good summation of it. Yeah. One of the biggest news things, um, a lot of you guys are already aware of this, but fill my schedule is back. Um, in fact, let's, let's feel a little more excited. Fill my schedule is back, baby. Back, Yay! baby. <laughs> so, um, uh, when the first quarantine went down due to our state kind of laws or, um, we weren't able to have people in the printing shop on location. We were able to move remotely, as you can see with my lovely backdrop here. Um, That's a pivot. Like Service Monster just (laughs) went, bam, we're virtual now, baby. I think it took like four days. Yeah. 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 It was actually a pretty pretty good example of a pivot. Yeah. That's that's solid. A successful Um, one. That comes from the fabric of being an agile company. Absolutely. From that though, um, for phase one, we weren't able to, to have the FMS cards printing. Um, I know a lot of you guys were chomping at the bit for that to come back. Um, and what was it, two weeks ago, week and a half ago? Um, mm-hmm. our, our governor here uh, allowed us our county into phase two, which meant that we could kind of get FMS back ramped up. Um, there have been you know notices everywhere about this. It's even on the what's new in your service monster if you you know ever pay attention and, and actually click on that. So hope everyone who wants FMS and so on has been aware of that and you know has reached out. We have a form to fill out um, and so on. But not uh, necessary though. Let me break down yeah. where the different people are out so that if they can figure out what category they're in and what their steps they need to take. Sure. So um if you were on FMS before we shut it down, then you are turned back on. You could have been placed on um, a few conveyor belts, though. If you filled out a form, you were expedited and all of your run dates were immediately set to the day that we set them up so you can then approve the next day. Because what we didn't want to have happen is just turn everyone on who was off because then there'd be people who wouldn't see cards for 10, 15, 30 days. Um, And so we wanted to make sure that people who wanted and who were paying attention and who knew what was going on, who wanted to get cards out as quickly as possible, had an opportunity to essentially move up that automation date to a manual process that we could push to you. In addition, people who filled out their form may have said, hey, I want to do a special campaign to let people know that we are open for business. So we have a special kind of a COVID um, card that you can use to let people know. And if you've submitted that request, those requests are now being pursued. Um, We have done the first phase, which was get everybody who wanted a change in an immediate back to normalcy for their fill my schedule process. That has all been done. Those have all been processed. If you're hearing me and you submitted a form and that's not true for you, please reach out. Um, We believe everyone on the list is ready to go. Uh, And we've been printing cards now for two weeks. So... The other part of that process is if you did nothing, then your runs have been turned back on and we use the date essentially to target your next run date. So the date that you'd set up and then, you know, so it's a third of every month that you were generating your reminders and then doing your thank yous weekly, then it won't be till the third of next month. Although I got to reference my calendar depending on when this goes out, right? So you might be listening to this right before the third. So the point taken though, right? So if you want, you can get your cards set up earlier. If you haven't filled the form out yet and you are doing fill my schedule ahead of time, reach out to support and we can get your cards generated starting today, your fill my schedule uh, reminders. Your thank yous again, they should be generating weekly already. So let's just leave those. Then there's some people who might ask, well, what about the people we miss between A and B? We can run a catch-up campaign for that. So reach out to support and they can help you get that set up as well. Um, But we're open. um, We're fully staffed. uh, We're to the volume. Eric is also learning that whole entire process. The um, Fill My Schedule Manager, Alex, uh, 
you know, he's, he's probably my favorite film, my schedule manager. And we've had two, three, four, I think five, six, we've had six at this point. Um, he does a great job. We kept him, even though we shut down film, my schedule, he moved to support and learned the product much better. Uh, but now he's down back downstairs and our, um, original crew, including Remy, who we love and cherish for years and years, um, runs the print operation. So that's all, all good. So we're all up and running. Feel free, inundate us with cards. Let's get back up and running and let people know you are open for business. And I'll make sure to put uh, our contact info in the uh, description here. So if you have any questions about FMS, like Joe was saying, all our email and phone number right there. So Yes. And then if you're like, what the hell are they talking about? Fill My Schedule is, um, or FMS, Fill My Schedule is an automated direct mail campaign program based off the last invoice date. And so we've got thank you, which happens in a week later, then a three month um, kind of message, six month, nine month, 12 month, uh, 15, 18, and 24. So there's eight steps to the whole program. You can choose the steps that you want, but it's basically these high end tent fold cards in an envelope. It's not a postcard. Think birth announcement and wedding invitation. So that's kind of what the the quick summary of what Fill My Schedule is. And it uh, has an 800% nationwide ROI. Uh, and, um, it, you know, helps grow your repeat rate. Just that it's that easy. And it's not because we're so super awesome, although all the content is done and all the copy is already done, but it's because we do it as opposed to doing it sporadically or not doing it all. And uh, direct mail just works. So there's that you can steal the program, do it yourself. You'll get an 800% ROI too. But as the story dictated, when we first got started, people just don't do it. We got the tools and service monster, but when we can do it for them, they're much happier with that process. Yep. Yep. I'll, I'll put a, the link to the website, the FMS page too. All sorts of links, all the information you need right there. There you everywhere. go. All yep. right. So um, the next big bit of news, Michael, if you actually want to go yeah, over the cleaning jumps report. Yeah. So this will have been out for a little bit by the time this is out. But if you haven't already, go to our blog. I'll also post that link in the uh, description here. Um, our new cleaning jobs report. I won't go, I won't go into it too much cause you can read it. Um, and, uh, we'll be discussed uh, a little bit ago. We discussed the, the March numbers. Um, but we have numbers for April and May now, um, job total percent change in uh, number of jobs, um, year over year between, um, April 28, 2019 and April, 2020, same with May. Um, so in March jobs were down 22%. Um, in April, they were down 46%, so even a greater decrease. But then in May, they were only down 31%. So we're kind of seeing uh, May May showed signs of improvement. The revenue numbers were similar. Um, April was down 39%, and May was only down 28% from the previous year. Um, so job numbers and revenue numbers are um, are going Trending up again through upward. May. Yep. 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 We're, so we're, we're excited about that. I think it's, it's um, you know, there's there's – you can draw a number of conclusions off of that, but I think the, the easiest one is that things are trending upwards. Things are looking good. Um, we'll leave it at that for now. Um, we'll have June uh, numbers out um, around the end of the month, um, a little after the end of the month. So um, that's coming up soon, actually. It's almost June's almost over. So by the time this is out, it'll be almost July. So be looking out for uh, June's numbers. Um, we'll be updating you on that, on how kind of the cleaning industry as a whole is is looking, how things are trending, um, and kind of you can look at your state and just see, hey, I'm doing really good compared to my state, or you know, that, that those are the stories we mostly get, right? I mean, yeah. we get a couple, yeah, I feel it, I'm feeling yep. it, but we, I think the most is the reactionary engagement comes from people who are like, wow, we're up, yep, right, um, which is great. It means you're you're doing something right, yep. Um, right as long as it's not a short term strategy, right. And you're doing that defogger thing that we're talking about. Um, or if you're doing it correct and you've diversified correctly, then good on you. Right. There's, yeah. there's two ways to that story. Yeah. So um, yeah. And for those individuals, please continue to provide your testimony. Like um, people see that positivity and then they have hope and maybe they question like, well, what decisions could I have made as a business owner to maybe mitigate this a little bit? I think that's, we're not there yet. Um, in projects, uh, big projects, you do often do what's called a postmortem, which is once the project is done, you wrap together the intellectual capital that was involved in the project and you go, what do we do well? 
that we can take forward. What did we do from a project management standpoint that wasn't so good and where can we improve and where were the issues? Was it a matter of lack of documentation, meaning that we didn't have SOPs, um, you know, communication pipelines were lost, people dropped the ball. How do you fix the people bugs? You fix them with process, uh, standard operating procedures. And so post-mortem on COVID for a business owner should be something to the effect of, how could I have better positioned my company? Um, how could I insulate it in the future? Um, and what lessons did I take away that I need action and change on versus things I don't want to be repeating again? And so, uh, again, all that introspection game and looking back, a postmortem of your business and yourself. Now, obviously, at some point, you can't plan. I mean, you can't plan for a dinosaur showing up and stomping on your business, right? It's just, <laughs> there's no planning for that. So the argument could be made, well, yeah, Joe, but it's unpre- the shutdown's unprecedented. Um, you know, yes and no, 1918, but the idea is, no, we haven't seen this in our lifetime. How could you have prepared for it? My answer to that is it was within the realm of what gurus have been warning us about for decades. And they will often say, have three to six months of expenses in the bank. Really hard to do for a business on thin margins, handing out payroll. I get it. Believe me. Um, but if you want to protect yourself, you'll make that another priority. You'll sock away 10% of your revenue into a fund until you have that. And then you would have been able to survive this much better. If it was six months, eight months, no one would have expected a business. I mean, enough businesses failed or are failing as it is. Um, and I certainly don't want to make light of that or say that, haha, it's all their fault. Like, obviously that's not what I'm saying. But I want the positive to come out of the postmortem being, what could I've done to insulate myself in this particular case? So, again, just making sure that you're moving forward, picking up as much of the good data from your actions as possible. Well said. So, in some other service sponsor news, we'll kind of move on to a couple of releases uh, on the mobile front, which is out uh, right now, we just released 1.2.14. And we actually had meant for that to be 1.3.0. Um, there was a miscommunication on the numbering system when uh, when we got it pushed out because we up, upgraded React Native, uh, our framework. So um, maybe there, once uh, everything looks good, we'll just push a update for that and maybe one or two little things. Yeah, and that's actually we're gonna we're gonna update the number at that point. So there's another quick fix that's coming in right after that. So you'll be looking at 1.3.0 um, by the time this is out, um, potentially 1.3.0.1. Um, so yeah, those are out. The uh, major things is we're we're really trying to bring the technician app. Every there were some things that were added onto that. We've talked about this uh, before. The mobile technician app was kind of a, a trial, um, working on just the with the technicians in mind, and for the most part, we had very positive reviews and people loved it, especially compared to mobile three, which was just a little bit more confusing. Don't get me started on mobile screens. three. Yeah, no, we okay. We, we just move past. Just go. Yeah. Just move on back. All right, right when I'm past. So because of that, when we were building this new app, the new service monster app, which you guys are, I'm sure, have all downloaded and used, right? Um, but when we were building this app, we had kind of this, this gap period and some users were using the technician app in a way it wasn't really designed for. And so in doing so, we, we kind of gave it some features that it wasn't really intended at at the technician level, at least by a default, what it was supposed to be able to do. And so we've been kind of to get some of those users off the technician app, because in the very near future, uh, the service sponsor app is going to be the only app that we support. Um, And so we're trying to make sure that for those users, we're bridging that gap. So we added a new security role. It's called the technician plus. It allows you a couple of things Um, on that end. We'll have help documentation on what those entail. We added order activities. 
probably something that should have been in there from the start, but we kind of got a lot of feedback on the fact that a lot of you guys, rather than using notes, you're using an order activity all the way through. You'll have multiple appointments, you know, four or five, six trips by the time it's all said and done, and you use the order activity to pass the work from one technician onto the next. That's great. Um, so we made that available. You'll see that. You'll even see a little uh, image on the, on the UI if you have any order activities assigned to yourself um, and so on. So that's a big thing iOS users, largest thing is the image sorting. Because of this oh, framework yeah. update, we are able to update the library. It's now sorting newest to oldest on the images. I know that that was a frustration point. I, I have an Android phone. Please stop the hate mail. Yeah. Yeah, it's fixed. <laughs> and and it's I get fixed. it. If I had to be going through that, uh, if I had, you know, an inferior iPhone, um, if I had to go through that, I'm just joking. But uh, I would want to throw my phone out the window. So I definitely understand that. Um, there's some other bug fixes, some other small features that got added as well. Um, you can read the release notes. We'll have them. Um, they're posted there on, on the App Store, so you can kind of see that there. But that is released. Um, we have some other interesting things coming the mobile way too, but we'll kind of leave that, I think, for another discussion. We don't like to talk too far out ahead of time. So on the desktop side, 6.5.1. Um, we've talked a lot about performance up, um, optimization performance updates um, the last few weeks. Joe had actually, as he mentioned, started on this even before everything kind of came to a, a crashing halt, you know, a couple of Mondays or Tuesdays ago um, when we saw the, the big spike. And so we're on, we're on step five out of 12, as Joe has said numerous times, if you guys aren't, you know, seeing these updates in Smug or so on and you want to, really probably a good idea to be in Smug um, for some of these. But 6.5.1 is going to have another kind of um, push towards this, uh, introducing some caching. There's actually three levels of it. I know that maybe some of you guys might freak out at the term cache. Um, I don't think we necessarily – do we want to go too technical on this, Joe? God, wanna, no. My yeah. Some of my engineers are struggling with the <laughs> stuff I've been working on in the last couple of weeks. I'm so, you know, there's, there's two major problems with coding, right? You know this one? The two major problems with coding are caching, configuration errors, and off by one issues. Okay. Those uh, are the I two. Think... Well, we're working on one of them then, so I guess. Uh... <laughs> Michael Luckily... caught it. <laughs> there are three. Right. Uh, the third uh, one was off by one errors. Uh, Come on, guys. I got it. <laughs> I, I, I got you now. I'm sorry. Oh, setting up a softball. And that's okay. I, I bet you a bunch of the audience went, oh, he's talking about code again. Oh, la, 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 la. So yeah, that's, I didn't that's get a good either. point. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't had any caffeine today, so I'm going to blame it on that. But um, uh, System go faster. And and I got to, and I got to move into, um, we operate in, the quant in the realm of seconds and milliseconds, right? If I can get res uh, server response time down to 100 milliseconds, the system is hauling ass. And um, our P90 is somewhere around 400 milliseconds, meaning that 90% of our requests are within that under, um, under 400 millisecond window. And then there's 10% that might be a little over that. But even like our P99 is only sitting at like 2.5 seconds. Um, then there's that small number of requests for those small number of users that are taking 18, 20 seconds. So we get it. We're hearing you. We're not, we're not discounting that. Um, I got to move into microsecond range, which is one millionth of a second. I've been able to tune some of these functions uh, through some voodoo, uh, voodoo architectural magic and we're down to you know 500 microseconds <laughs> which is ridiculous it's a half a millisecond um and these are individual requests right not necessarily what shows up on the server but dude i am so excited and then we have other things that are crazy like we have little calls like get your time offset to figure out what time we should display that's going to the database every single time so we've got within a four or five hour period we've got four million requests to this database it's unnecessary completely unnecessary and so now with some again some voodoo wizardry 
I've gotten that call down to a couple thousand a day max. So um, we're taking a lot of unnecessary pressure off the system with the 651 release at every level. Um, and so I expect there to be a significant improvement across the board. The one caveat to that, and I don't know where we're going to be when this releases in the future. I wish I could predict that. Um, but I am seeing some latency around the drawing of the grids, not in the getting of the data. And so all your non-grid screens should be lightning fast and your grid screen should be fast. But for some people, for some reason, those grids are taking three to five seconds to put the data in, which I have an engineer looking at it. So we're going to be you know, combing through that. So hopefully that was a whole bunch of nothing burger because you logged in a couple of days ago and went, holy shit. And everything is just super duper fast. And we fixed the grid issue I'm talking about right now. It's not a big deal, but know that we're working on it. And, um, and yeah, we've actually finished steps one through eight, but they're in various stages of rollout to production. And so, um, you know, we're making really good progress on that front. We've got um, much more analytics. I'm a kid in a candy store. I think I've said this before. We've hooked up a service that allows me to see everything end to end. And so I can tell where bottlenecks are. I can tell where errors are occurring. So we're going to be working very hard over the next few months to make Service Monster the healthiest it's ever been. We're turning it into an Olympic athlete. That's my goal. Um, I want zero unknown errors, uh, literally zero unknown errors. Um, and then, uh, you know, from there, it's just, again, searching for those areas that, oh, we're making that call way too often. And then like last night, I was up till three in the morning, not talking to people in Australia while I was coding and listening to White Zombie. You know, it's like, I'm obsessed with this stuff right now. So super excited to get 651 in your hands, which is a, another leap forward that will close, um, um, steps five and six. So well, then we'll be on step seven, which I actually think David's running concurrently. I think he's updating databases um, over the last few days. He is, yeah. And you tried all- last night. He hit me up at midnight. We were chatting. And then I guess he passed out and couldn't finish his task. <laughs> it's like, oh, you lightweight. <laughs> that is the most developer statement. <laughs> All of my developer friends, you just they have that story of, yeah, I was coding and I just kind of fell asleep at the desk. And you're just like, man, at least make it to the couch. I mean, come on. So I have a disease that I didn't know I had until I read Richard Feynman's book. Um, Richard Feynman was a physicist from the 60s. And, uh, and he talks about what everybody was getting at the academic level as these computers, the programmable computers were coming out everybody started getting obsessed with programming and they would lose years, like not days, years of time, like tinkering with computers and coding and building little things to make this math problem or that math. And everybody was doing the same thing concurrently. Right? So, you know, the advancements were only being created by a small number of people. There wasn't such a thing as open source or anything at the time. So they're all independently work, but they, they lost years off of their academic research or off of their, you know, study or even thinking like, you know, these are the, some of the smartest people on the planet and it spread like wildfire in the math communities and the science communities and the physics communities. Um, and, and they called it the computer disease. <laughs> and Feynman was like, I sat down at a computer and I learned how to program with the, with the tools of the day. And within a day, I realized I had this horrible disease. And so I never went back to the computer again. <laughs> and I'm like, shit, you just described the first six years of Service Monster. I, I was less of a businessman than I had a computer disease, you know, perfecting the architecture that I already spent 10, 15 years on just because I have such a passion for it. So it took me a long time to rid myself of that disease, but here I am, three o'clock in the morning, coding away like a madman. <laughs> I still got it. I think really if there's anything to take from that is just that know that everyone is pouring their heart and soul into getting these issues resolved. So, 100%. Um, other thing to note too is initially 651 was just going to be these uh, caching improvements and the make things go fast improvements. Um, but the you way got, that you got booted off that one, 
the, the way that, that the engineers uh, mutinied. <laughs> The way that the uh, changes were intertwined with other changes, um, mm-hmm. it was too too difficult to really. It, it, the way I kind of describe it is, if you have a sandwich and you've got you know the bottom bread, you got the top bread, and you've got I don't know a piece of cheese or something mixed in your eight layer sandwich. Because I'm sure you guys are sandwich you know connoisseurs, as I hope so. Um, if you pulled those three things out just all at once, the sandwich is going to flop. It's going to be a mess, and it's, you know your, your whole countertop or whatever is going to be messy, right? So it's kind of the same idea. So we're going to just package it all together with all of these smaller feature um, kind of requests and bug fixes and things that the devs have been working on the last few weeks. So there's Tons a couple stuff. the small features, like I, I I won't list them all right now, but a couple of them are just just from a user experience standpoint are just they're really small changes, but they're really they're really useful in my opinion. Things that I've been working towards for ever since I started here. So um, so we'll we'll have you know. We're targeting next week, unless something you know absolutely crazy happens. That that's the goal. So basically, by the time this comes out, you'll be seeing some notes on that end. You'll be able to read the full release notes and so on. So very good. Um, the other items are going to be moved to six five two. We don't really need to dive too much into that. We've talked about kind of what's coming down the, the pipeline. There are some nice new feature sets coming with the account tags, the new account dashboard page, and some self import improvements. Um, so those will be coming as well, but really right now our focus is getting these bugs and performance up, uh, um, performance upgrades live. So bug fixes and performance upgrades live. So with that, let's kind of move into uh, our Entree Joe segment. Um, this one is about digital media marketing companies. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll just read the full quote here and then let Joe kind of um, explain himself. So tons of, of digital marketing companies digital media marketing companies, sorry, are popping up all over the place to offer their super awesome services. The reality is every organization needs to be a digital media marketing business. The problem is so few people understand this. When you finally get there in your own business, all you see is potential opportunity to start doing it for other people. It's a trap for everyone involved. I'll say it again. Every organization should be a digital media marketing company. Entree Joe. So let's kind of let's dive into that, Joe. What, what are your... Expand on your thoughts. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a drop. It's a trap. So we were talking about this earlier, diversification, right? And then and then you can go off the rails on opportunity. And so this is the the point that there is a lot of digital media companies out there pitching their digital media services who have one client themselves. Or maybe like two or three clients, like themselves and a buddy. Um, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea for the person offering the services, and it's a bad idea for the, for the client who's thinking about buying services for them from that individual. Sorry, sorry, not sorry. Um, I get it, man. I totally get it. If you've got it figured out, and you're pushing good content, and you're seeing good ROI. It is very seductive to say, man, I keep talking to these guys and they just don't get it because I have these conversations all the freaking time. We've talked about it in Service Monster. Like, could it be another film I schedule? And the answer is a resounding no, um, unless you set your expectations correctly. The first one is don't expect better than EDDM results. Because mostly what these companies are going to be able to provide you is an ad stream, a stream of ad content and managing your ads budget. Essentially, what they're doing is they're performing the task of an internal content coordinator, which I have currently sitting off to my right in my vision. Uh, Michael, he's he's our content coordinator. He's brilliant in how he um, produces and, and distributes content. You don't need a class A player like Michael. We grew into him. We started off with a part-time um, newer content creator. Uh, she was a blog poster. He had a passion for that. I'm like, come work for us. And this is back in like 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. And, uh, and so, you know, I had the uh, idea of content creation and blog posts and you know it was still fairly well known 
marketing tactics, even though they were brand new. But obviously, being a tech company, we kind of saw the the um, the wave that was coming in social media and how we could take advantage of certain platforms and not others. I still don't care. I give a flip about Reddit, even in my personal life, because I can't make money off that shit. There's just no way to market on Reddit. <laughs> just, unless you're just, you happen to be there all day, every day and develop the street cred and people like real influence. So, you know, you can't be a fake influence influencer on there and the audience needs to be there. Just, there's no real slash service provider Reddit stream, right? Where people are talking about stuff all the time. So maybe it has popped up in the last few months and I haven't looked, but same thing with, um, uh, what's the big one right now? TikTok. This is like infected my wife even. Like she loves TikTok now because it's feeding those look, you know, those kind of um, voyeuristic looks into every day, every man's day, but in these really teeny tiny, cur- not curated. It's That's the point. It's not curated. Like these bite-sized snippets. And the algorithm is super good at understanding what you're interested in and then flooding your feed with just that thing. Like, you know, laughing babies, you look at four or five laughing babies. Next thing you know, your feed's got laughing babies for days. And so like, but I can't make money off it. So I don't give a shit about TikTok. You know what I mean? And like, you can get, there's just some, it used to be musically and they've changed it. Like they rebranded after they got a bunch of money and whatnot. I don't know their full story, but I watched it actually evolve. I was like, oh, that's interesting. We should, maybe we should carve out a digital space. And Mike, Michael and I talked about it, you know, because you get silos, you get early adoption, you can carve out things. I think we even have an account, don't we? We just don't do yeah. anything with it. Well, yeah. I, post, I posted a few like videos on it at first and some of them got like 12,000 views or something. But then like <laughs> it went to like two views. It was like then after that, I have no idea why some of them got so many views. It's, it just ended up in a feed, right? It's just yeah. like Instagram. We yep. have those hits too, where you get 250,000 views on a window yeah. washing or yeah. a pressure washing video that we yeah. uh, resurface. And those are at least a little more consistent. This was like 12,000 views to like two on like I'm very sure similar that, videos. And I'm like, what? I'm sure that a reputable company sure surely wouldn't spoof their view count to get you intrigued and working more in their, in their platform. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying – I'm just – Anyway, can't make money off uh, off uh, what's the name of that damn thing again? TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. So yeah, yeah don't hang out there. Marketers ruin everything. Yep, it's all my fault. <laughs> Truth, marketers and salespeople. Um, <laughs> so moving on to smug, like I mentioned, kind of the whole major topic that we talked about today with diversification. It did originate kind of with this uh, smug post by Tim. So. So thank you, Tim. We'll definitely give you a shout out there. Yes, thank um, you, Tim. Love the, you, Tim. The first thing that uh, Michael and I definitely are feeling um, happy about is Joe did a poll, kind of about about themes, um, just kind of just seeing what everyone was using because it seemed like every screenshot we were getting was with with, with the dark mode, um, and. You know, a handful of people took place, uh, took part. I think it was, I don't know, 40 or 50 people voted. Um, and the dark vote came out on top with 19, um, with Classic not far behind with 15. Those both, both definitely both seem to be the most popular one. A couple that are still using five only. And then there's only one with the light blue. So um, just kind of interesting to see. The, the dark mode was the one that we introduced last because it was the most difficult to implement. But it's definitely one that Michael and I fell in love with pretty quickly. So I don't know. Just nice to see that yeah, data. And, nice that you guys enjoy the new themes. Yeah. And and just to recap, in case you're not sure where that segue, uh, in Service Monster, we you can now switch your theme to a blue, which is classic, a light blue, which looks more like Service Monster 5, and a dark theme, which is lights out, right? Um, and the people who are in the know seem to be overwhelmingly choosing the dark theme. The default is the dark blue. Um, we call that classic. But if you go to your user settings in there, in that menu, there's a theme selector. And so you can play with that. And I was just really surprised at the support emails that were coming in and the smug posts that were being made of screenshots. And they're all dark screen. Like, I don't think I've seen a post of a classic or a light blue screen in weeks. So I was just totally like, whoa, that's very cool. Uh, you know, I, I just, 
I got a kick out of it. So well done, Michael. Thanks. Wasn't just me, but it was it was a great team effort. It was very <laughs> difficult. There's still there's still little things here and there that I want to get dialed in on it, but it's it was quite the project. Yeah, that's for sure. Definitely. Oof. Um. Lastly, we had a post from uh, Nathaniel. How can I generate a list of all my clients who have referred? Um, and, and Alan kind of jumped in here and let him know, which again, is one of the things we love about Smug is you guys can kind of help each other find things, um, small things like this. But the other thing I just kind of want to draw attention to is that in Service Monster, we have very easily the ability when you're tracking your lead sources to split it between either your marketing campaigns or an account referral. Um, and we have reports that are designated directly to that. So you can start tracking VIP clients and things like that. You might even be offering, um, I know we have some users who, through the FMS, for example, or email campaigns, they literally offer you know, referral programs where they offer rewards and things of that nature. Um, I'm sure you guys have something like that in play on some level, um, but really just want to draw attention that you can split those. It's very easy. Don't just be, don't have your lead source just say account referrals. Go to the account referrals tab or section and actually select which account did the referring because um, you want to keep track of that. You would be shocked, Joe, at how many people I had to kind of I'd go in there. Like, oh, you've got 50 account referrals. Great. Who? And yeah. So I would be, I would be less, I would be more shocked if I didn't know the overwhelming number of people who, Mark the lead source says, repeat. Repeat. Yep. Kill Anyways, me. Kill just me. Wanted, just wanted to draw attention to that if you guys weren't aware. Um, when the lead source kind of thing, it defaults to the marketing campaigns. So you know, if you're looking at Google, Facebook, Instagram, you know, whatever trade show or something you had, all those are going to be listed in your, in your marketing campaign section. Just, just toggle it over to the account referrals, and then you can search for the account. So there you go. Otherwise, that's all I got for you, Joe. Awesome. Michael, anything on your end? Nope. That's it. Very good. Well, thank you so much for the conversation. And thank you guys so much for paying attention. Uh, we hope you are enjoying our podcast. Feel free to leave a note. And if you want to pull this show in any particular direction, one thing that we've thought about is because now we have virtualized, it'd be pretty easy to bring guests on. So occasionally we'll be reaching out to individuals and uh, inviting them on to share their story or share part of what they do or successful things that work for them. So if you're interested in that, feel free to email support at servicemonster.net or leave a comment in one of the platforms at the bottom and we will reach out to you. Thank you so much again and have a great day. Marketing at servicemonster.net. All right, but <laughs> I was going to say, maybe they should email marketing. Justin will make support, that so it doesn't never that, happen. That was the most, I almost want to leave that. That was, oh my gosh. <laughs> was I was going to say, they should, probably, they should probably email marketing, not support. Support gets hammered and they, and stuff. Yeah, uh, podcast stuff, probably marketing. Just, just,